0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. When someone vanishes into thin air, it is extremely disturbing. But when multiple people disappear at the same time, it makes the situation even more unsettling and adds even more questions for people that are left behind. Mass Disappearances this week on Mysteriously Listed. Number three, Chantelle McDougall, Leela McDougall, Simon Cadwell and Tony Popick. In 1997, Chantelle McDougall met Simon Cadwell while he was preaching in Melbourne, Victoria in Australia. Chantelle would become a follower of his religion, and at some point, the two would become romantically involved. 2001 would mark the birth of their daughter, Leela, and two years later, the family moved to a rental property in the isolated rural town of Nanup, Western Australia. In 2006, the family would let fellow religious believer Tony Poppick move in with them. 45-year-old Englishman Simon Cadwell was the leader of the doomsday cult, The Truth of Fellowship, his 40 or so followers would call themselves the Forecourt and they would communicate via an online forum. Cadwell would prophesise the birth of the new world in higher consciousness. His followers prepared for Judgment Day where they would cross into the higher dimension which ultimately involved suicide. It has been reported that at least two members of the Truth of Fellowship had suicided. By 2007, Cadwell would barely leave the home, spending his days locked in his room chatting with his followers on the online forum. Whilst 27 year old Chantelle, 6 year old Leela, and Tony Poppick were more active and well liked within the community, despite being subservient to Cadwell. Chantelle worked as a swimming instructor, as well as selling makeup and clothes while Tony worked at a local hardware store. Cadwell would be described by those who knew him as being narcissistic and would say things to garner attention. Four months before the disappearances, Cadwell became extremely paranoid. He was convinced a nearby power pole was directing harmful electromagnetic fields into his home. He had Tony Berry magnets in his yard as he believed they would divert the magnetic waves. He believed it was a conspiracy to kill both himself and his daughter. Early July 2007, Chantel sold the family chickens and their two long-haired dash to the person who would be the last person to see her alive. The buyer would later report to the police that Chantel seemed anxious. Later that day, Chantel would call her parents, telling them that Cadwell had left for Brazil and both she and Leela were following him. Three months later, after not hearing from their daughter, Jim and Catherine McDougall reported her and Leela missing. A note addressed to their landlord was found taped to the front door of their home. It stated that due to lack of sleep, due to the electromagnetic interference, they'd all moved to Brazil and for the landlord to either sell or give away their furniture. However, inside there was no evidence the family had planned to leave permanently. Food, wallets, credit cards and electronic devices, they all remained inside. And immigration could not find any evidence the family had travelled internationally since they were last seen. What investigators would find in their search for the four missing persons would chill them to their core. Simon Cadwell was not his real name. He was really Gary Felton, and Simon Cadwell was his colleague. Felton had stolen Simon's identity in 1986 and used his birth certificate to obtain a United Kingdom passport to travel to Australia. Police would then learn that several days after the family disappeared someone used Tony's ID and used his cell phone to purchase a train ticket from Banbury to Perth under the name J. Roberts. Later, Tony's driver's license was used to book a double room at a hostel in Perth. The following day, Tony's cell phone was again used to purchase a return ticket to Calgary in the name of Jay Roberts. Due to the lack of CCTV footage being available, it's unknown if this man was actually Tony, or if it was Felton using Tony's identity. In December 2017, a three-day coronial inquest found that investigators failed to follow up on sightings and potential evidence. And this could not happen now, because this evidence was now lost. A year later, in December 2018, the coroner passed down in his report that it was unclear if the family was still alive. Bank accounts owned by Chantelle, Tony and Felton were never again accessed, leading police to believe there were foul play involved. And more than 20 years later, their remains are still missing. However, Chantelle's parents, Jim and Catherine McDougall, Hold out hope that their daughter and granddaughter are still alive. Number 2 Judith, Julie and Timothy Guthrie. In early 1977, Judith and Timothy Guthrie Sr. had separated, with Judith moving back with her mother and Timothy Sr. having primary custody over the couple's two children, six-year-old Julie and three-year-old Timothy. And despite being separated, Julie and Timothy Sr. remained close and amicable. On the afternoon of February 5th, Judith picked up the children from their father's New York home. Timothy Sr. waved goodbye to Julie and Timothy as they drove away with their mother in her green 1974 Ford Maverick with a white roof. The trio were never seen again. When Judith failed to return the children later that evening, he did not think much of it, but when he hadn't heard anything by the following morning, he reported them missing to the police. Judith's mother reported the car missing in the hopes the car would be spotted, but no reports had ever come in and the car was never recovered. The police initial theory was the car had accidentally driven into one of the city's many lakes, but this was quickly ruled out. That particular winter in New York was a severe one, and it was determined the ice would have been thick enough for the car to have driven over it without it breaking. In the years that followed, Timothy Sr. paid large sums of money for private investigators and to have the lake searched, but no trace of the family has ever been found. There is no indication the family chose to disappear on their own accord. No clothing or belongings were taken. Bank accounts have also been untouched, and there was no substantial withdrawals made before they went missing. In addition, that morning, Judith's mother lent her her boots and $10 for gas, indicating the car did not have much gas and that Judith had no money. Only a year after they disappeared, police investigating the case found a supermarket tabloid story, which spoke of a hermit who lived with several wives in Arizona. Along with this story, there was a photo of one of the wives, who looked eerily similar to Judith. Police attempted to follow this lead, but they could not locate the family. No further leads in the case would surface until 1984. Police in Wyoming sent a nationwide alert regarding a woman who changed her appearance using contact lenses and hair dye, that she had two children and was hiding from someone. This woman refused to give information about her past but when Timothy Sr. met with them, he said they were not his missing family. In 1993, Judith's mother Anne received several phone calls from an unknown woman who spoke with a southern accent. She claimed she saw Judith in Fort Myers, Florida. However, it was later determined that this was a hoax. Sadly, Anne would pass away in 1994. Her obituary would claim she was survived by her daughter Judith. Number 1. The Salomon Family. In 1972, Sol Salomon and his wife Elaine moved from Israel to the United States with their children, Michelle and Mitchell, Sol supported the family by starting a small business, repairing and refilling fire extinguishers, which ultimately grew big enough to employ four people. The couple would go on to own some rental properties, but Sol's true love was his collection of vintage and exotic cars. On October 14, 1982 a neighbour of the Salomons noticed their pool overflowing into their own yard. But upon reaching out, they could not reach the family and reported them missing to police. When police arrived at the property, they found the house unlocked and nothing seemed out of place. Robbery did not appear to be the motive as jewellery, electronics, $25,000 in cash and a Rolls-Royce motor vehicle were left behind the only thing that stood out as unusual to investigators would be in 15-year-old Michelle's room. Here they found some blood and small blood splatters, but nothing seemed out of place. Five days after the family went missing, the family's passports, as well as Sol Lane's Elaine's wallets, were found thrown along a stretch of highway several miles from their home there are multiple theories over what happened to the family. Most circle back to rumours that Saul was involved in the Israeli mafia and had been transporting guns out of the country. These rumours were further fueled by the police, who revealed to the media that they were familiar with Sol Salomon prior to his disappearance. And even though they wouldn't elaborate, it is important to highlight what they did say that it wasn't due to any criminal activity. However, the police did publicly question they were suspicious in how the family could afford their extravagant lifestyle. The main person of interest in the family's disappearance was Sol's business associate, Harvey Rader, who was the last person to see the family. Sol had a $20,000 interest in Rader's car dealership, according to Radar's police statement on the night of October 12, 1982, at 6pm, Sol told his wife Elaine and her visiting parents he was going to a car auction with Radar. Elaine's parents would leave around 10.30 that night. An hour later, Elaine was having a phone conversation with a friend when Radar rang the doorbell and the phone conversation ended. The family were never heard from again. Radar would claim they travelled to the auction in Sol's work van. On the way back home, Sol asked Radar to drop him off at an Israeli restaurant, which he did around 10.30. That knock on Salomon's door was Radar giving Elaine Sol's car keys. Radar denied knowledge of the family's whereabouts. Investigators immediately found inconsistencies with this story. The car auction ended at 5pm, but Sol did not leave until six that night. And the Israeli restaurant that Sol was allegedly left at that night, it was closed. In November 1983, a new witness came forward to implicate Radar. Radar's cousin, Ashley Pawley, was working with him around the time the family went missing. Pawley claimed that on the night of October 12, eighty two, he had been in Radar's office with Radar, another car dealer, Gerald Baxter, as well as two unnamed Italian men. Sol had demanded his $20,000 investment back. Radar shot Sol in the head, and he ordered Pawley to drive the men to the Salomon home, where they murdered the rest of the family. Pawley was then blackmailed to bury the bodies in the Antelope Valley near where the family's documents were found. As believable as Paulie's story may have been, given the evidence available and Radar's character, the story quickly fell apart. Paulie took the police to the spot he claimed the bodies were buried, but nothing was found. The surrounding area was also searched extensively, but still no evidence the family were there could be found. Regardless, based on Pauly's statement, Radar and Baxter were arrested on suspicion of the Salomon family murders, but were later released when Pauly backtracked on his story and stated that Baxter was not involved, and that those two Italian men, they didn't exist. This would backfire on Pauly, and he would be arrested for the family's murders, but again he would be cleared due to lack of evidence. Paulie would then move to Britain and refuse to assist the authorities with any further questions with the missing persons cases. Despite this, and only having circumstantial evidence, in September 1988, authorities would charge Raider again for the murders. The district attorney would attempt three times to try Raider for the murders of Sol, Elaine, 15-year-old Michelle and 9-year-old Mitchell. The first two would result in mistrials, and the third, the defence would rely on the theory the family was still alive. Three witnesses would testify, seeing Sol in town the night he was last seen. The jury would acquit radar for the final time in July 1992. The family would be declared legally dead in 1985, based on Paulie's statements. Sol, Elaine, Michelle and Mitchell's remains have never been found. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.